0: I was remembering back uh, to a time about 25 years ago, Sue and I and uh, kids were living in Chicago. I was the youth pastor at a church. Loved being the youth pastor, a great job. And uh, we lived, the church, we lived right beside the church in a home that the uh, church owned. And so what was wonderful about that most of the time is that, you know, if people came to the church and no one was there, they just, Oh, let's go to Jeff's house and they just drop by. And so there was probably never a day or very rarely a day uh, when someone was not in our home. And generally most days we loved that. And uh, on this particular day, there was a young man and didn't know him well. Uh, But he had just started coming out to the junior high group and you could just tell God was working in his life and he was beginning to grow in his faith and what was going on in his heart. And uh, so he came to rang the front doorbell and I went out to the front porch and he was like, Jeff. I was at church with my mother. I went to a different church this Sunday and he was so excited. Jeff, my mom and I went to this new church and we got something there and I got it for you and it's gonna be great and we can use it in youth group and it'll be the best thing ever. And he was just so excited about what he had and I was I was sort of a little confused, but liking you know, his spirit and his energy. And then he said, here's what I got, Jeff. The pastor had these special things and he pulled out of his pocket a little Ziploc bag and in there, there was some special anointing oil that that he had gotten in little different, you know, with the name and the logo of the church. He was like, Jeff, here's what we got. We can use these in youth group now. You know, and I was sort of thinking, I don't know how we're gonna use these. But in his mind, you know, he had this special oil for me. And he was like, Jeff, I couldn't think of anyone else to give it to you, but you, because I knew how much you'd appreciate it. And in his mind, he had found, you know, the secret sauce, you know, something that was so special You know, we had this oil and now the whole youth group was going to be able to connect with God on a deeper and better level, right? There was going to be more Christian living, more enablement, more power in our lives. And he was thrilled to be able to offer that to us. Now I know that this was his experience, it came in oil. Uh, I think you could turn on late night TV, I can't prove this, I don't watch too much TV, but I think you could go on late night TV and maybe still find some oil for sale. You could maybe find some holy water, a handkerchief, all sorts of other products that are sometimes sold uh, that in sort of the same category, you know, something extraordinary that appeals to us and gives us an ability to connect with God, to live differently. Let me say this, I think the appeal of those things are real. They, they They have a real appeal to us because we want help from God. We want greater power, we want more enablement And so then when we hear, if you just had this, if you just did this, if you just had this product, this extraordinary thing, you would have greater and more special capacity to do this, to live this way, to walk with God, to connect with God. Those things appeal to us. They they draw us in. And even as I thought about my junior high friend there on the door, I so appreciated his heart. You know, his heart of wanting those things, of wanting to go deeper in his faith, of wanting to connect with God more. But yet, as you may already be inferred, his method, his approach was where my concern was. And so the question we come to this morning is this, how do we access God? How do we get more of him? Where, where do we find the strength and the encouragement, the comfort, the power we need? What sort of goes between us and God to make that happen? And that's a real reality. We want to experience those things, but just how do we actually access all that God has for us? Well, the answer is found in Luke chapter three and I hope you've got your Bibles with you. I'd invite you to turn those on to open them up. We're in Luke 3. You've already heard the scripture read in verse 15 and here John the Baptist is speaking and he's going to tell us why the ministry of Jesus is superior. Why is the ministry of Jesus superior and that's what John is going to teach us today and in doing so he's going to give us some great truth about how we connect how we access God and all that he has for us so we're in a series called he is here it's the beginning of the book of Luke and Luke is introducing Jesus to us he's introduced us through uh, the idea that Jesus fulfills prophecy he's introduced us through the words of John the Baptist get ready someone is coming And as we go on today, we're gonna see Luke continuing to introduce Jesus, giving the credentials of Jesus. We haven't yet got to the ministry of Jesus. Luke is just building his resume, the credentials of Jesus, but also today as he does that, he's telling us why the ministry of Jesus is so superior. So here's my hope and my prayer for today. For any of you who have gathered, for any of you who are watching, how and you're longing for more of God, Longing maybe for more power in your life, longing for a way we change, longing for how you might know him and find him and connect with him on a greater level. How do we get more of God today? We see that in the text here in Luke chapter three. What has God put in place for us to connect with him? So let me just give you the outline of this, the scripture we read the first part. And and if you, when you heard that scripture read, there's two baptisms there, two baptisms. And so the first thing we're going to look at is Jesus's superior baptism. Jesus' superior baptism. We'll spend some time talking about that. Then the second thing we'll look at is Jesus' water baptism. That's what we see coming next in the text. So first Jesus' superior baptism, then Jesus's water baptism. That will give me a little time at the end to talk about four reasons we should all be baptized. And then we'll move from that water baptism into our communion time, and there's a wonderful segue that leads us in to the taking of communion together. So As you look down there in Luke chapter 3, starting verse 15, John's been out preaching. He's saying, repent of your sins, make an internal decision and demonstrate that by coming and being baptized. There's large crowds of people flocking towards him and they're beginning to wonder, John, are you the Messiah? Are you the Christ? Are you the one that has come to save us? And you so appreciate John's humility. Right? He's not even sort of toying with the question. Oh, maybe. You know, he's not playing with them at all. He's clear, it's an emphatic, I am not the Messiah. In fact, the way I, I love the way he says it, I'm not even worthy to tie the straps of the sandals of the one who's coming. You just so love John's humility. You know, may he decrease, may Christ increase is so much his heart. But then he gives the reason why. One reason why the one who is coming is superior and here's what he says, I baptize you with water, but the one who will come, end of verse 16, will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and with fire. So we see two different baptisms here. We see a water baptism by John and then we see a baptism by Jesus, the one who is coming, of the Holy Spirit and of fire. So let me just talk general terms before we talk about the specifics. The first thing John is saying is my baptism was of water. It's an external baptism, a washing on the outside. And then Jesus's baptism is an internal baptism of spirit and fire. It cleanses on the inside. One is external. One is internal. One cleanses, washes away on the outside, but one changes on the inside. And so, just as we make that comparison, let me just mark this is what we're reminded of. Only God can change us on the inside. Only God does the work of salvation, only God brings new life. We can preach, we can share the gospel, we can love people, we can care for people, we can do all sorts of things for people. We could even get them in water and baptize them and make them wet. Those are all outward things. I'm not diminishing them, but only God does the inward thing. Only God changes the heart of a sinner. And that's what John is saying is the far superior work. So then, what is this baptism then? The baptism of spirit and fire. Let me just start in the order they're listed, in the baptism of spirit. Remember, here was John's message and the message of salvation in the Bible. If you turn from your sin and you trust in Jesus, he forgives your sin. And then, as Peter says in Acts chapter 2, if you do those things, you also receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. So what John is talking about here is the baptism of the Spirit. The one time event that occurs at the moment we trust in Christ. The moment we trust in Christ we receive the indwelling of the Spirit. We receive the baptism of the Spirit. Paul teaches this in 1 Corinthians 12 13 he's talking to the church in Corinth and he's trying to help them be unified he's trying to bring this church together that was so divided over spiritual gifts and he says this all of you were baptized by one spirit to form one body guys you remember you all trusted in Christ you received the gift of the Holy Spirit you were brought into one body so therefore let us be unified You were all baptized into one spirit or you were all indwelled by one spirit. We tend to use the word indwelled today more so than the word baptized by the spirit because there has been some false teaching that has crept into the church where it teaches that there's a subsequent baptism after conversion, sometimes associated with the speaking in tongues. If you read the entire book of Acts, you'll see a couple a few incidences where that happens, but the majority of the book of Acts is all when people trust in Christ, they receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. And once you understand the flow of the book of Acts, we see these few incidences where that's not the case. It's very easy to understand. So here's the good news today. That the moment you trust in Christ, you receive all of the Spirit. You're baptized in him. He indwells you. There's no second stage experience. There's no division or classes of Christians. You have all you need to access God in the Holy Spirit the moment you trust in Christ. You have all you need through the Holy Spirit. And so with that said, let me just give some different ways and different ways the whole, what the Holy Spirit works in our life and what he accomplishes. And here's what you know. Let me just share this rule with you. They always say, keep the information on the slides very small. You know, don't put too much on slides. And so, with that said, you'll appreciate my next slide, which has 12 points. And so, there it is, there, breaking that rule. But I know some of you want to take a picture of that, like to see it all together, or pause it online and watch it. But let me just work quickly through all of these. The moment you trust in Christ, we are indwelt. By the Holy Spirit. He comes and lives inside of you. Again, God is omnipresent. He's bigger. He is everywhere. But what it means to be indwelt by the Spirit is a specific kind of action of God. It means his special presence is in you. He indwells you, not just influences you, he inhabits you. Think of the temple in Jerusalem when God's Spirit came and dwelt in the temple. This is the same New Testament promise that God comes and indwells inside of us with his Spirit. And here's the other thing that happens at the moment we trust in Christ. It's the second one on the list. He regenerates us. It's like in that moment, the Holy Spirit, when we we receive all that Christ offers... We move from darkness to light. It's like we were blind, but now we see. We move into a whole new world, a whole new spiritual vitality. Sometimes we say it this way, you are born again. You have different motivations. You have new desires. This is what God works in us. He regenerates us at the moment we trust in him. I know sometimes I've heard that uh, from people that are far from God or people that are looking and moving towards Christ and looking at some a Christian person who's living a really good life and sometimes that can be intimidating. You look at them and you think I could never live like them. I know they're not perfect but they're kind and loving and patient and they just have something I do not have and so that can be a restriction. moving towards Christ but here's the good news if you've ever felt that way if you're ever in that category the good news is is that the moment that you trust in Christ he a new spiritual life in you and if you're looking at someone else who has that life in them that's not them that's the Holy Spirit working in and through them that's what the Holy Spirit does he regenerates us here's the third thing he guides us into all truth he enlightens you, he teaches you. Suddenly, you have a desire to read the word of God. That's regeneration. You have a desire to pray, a desire to go to church, but now also he's, got, he's enlightening you. He's illuminating you. Suddenly you read the word and you're like, I get it. I understand this book. Not only there, and some of you maybe have experienced that this week, he convicts of sin. He enables you to kill sin. And he works to make you fruitful. Maybe some of you have wandered away this week, uh, this month, last, last year, but you have felt the conviction of the Spirit of God in your life. He is drawing you back, He is relentlessly working in your life so that you will become holy. That's what the Holy Spirit does, He does not stop. He's regenerated you, he's indwelling in you, and he is going to bear fruit in your life. And if you're feeling that conviction, that calling of him towards you, uh, respond, obey, follow where the spirit is leading you. And then the Spirit does this for us. He leads us and he empowers us. And sometimes we can maybe get lethargic or uh, apathetic in our faith, but the Spirit says, no, I've got more for you. Here's where I want to send you. I've given you gifts to use for the building of my kingdom, for the furtherance of the church. Engage in those. Use those. You have purpose and meaning to invest in those. And then these last three, maybe for some of you today, this has just been a hard week. You know, a hard month. There's suffering. There's pain. There's different things going on. We can sort of feel like we've had enough. We've come to the end of the rope. You know, God, where are you? And here's the wonderful ministry of the Spirit. He testifies in our hearts that we are God's children. This is the Spirit saying, I've adopted you. You're mine. I'll never let you go. You're part of the family of God. And not only is he testifying that truth to us, but he's interceding for us. Maybe this week you got to a spot where you were so physically and emotionally exhausted. You didn't know what to pray. You didn't feel you could pray. And here's the good news. In that moment when we can't even utter a syllable, the Holy Spirit begins to pray for us in accordance with God's will. He's like, I see your weakness, but I'm going to come along and intercede along with you and cry out to God on your behalf for the Father's will in your life. And then the last one, he seals us. We can grow so weary in our faith at times. We think, I don't know if I'm going to make another day. I don't know if I'll make another year. And the Holy Spirit's sealing is his assurance in our lives. It's him saying, I am going to preserve you to the very end. As Ephesians says, the Holy Spirit is a down payment. It's a deposit guaranteeing our inheritance. One day, the Spirit says, I've sealed you and I'm going to bring you safely home. Which of those first 11 this morning do you need the most? Where might that provide comfort or challenge or conviction? And then lastly, the 12th one, how do we access these things? How do we get more of the Spirit? Well, it's actually very ordinary. The Bible says we just need to be filled with the Spirit. We just need to walk with Him. These are just very ordinary ways. Nothing extraordinary about them. Let me just tell you what the ordinary ways God uses for us to get more of the Holy Spirit so we can connect with God. Reading our Bibles. Praying. Coming to church. Worshiping God together. Being in community. Listening to the preached word. Taking communion. These ordinary things are just the means God uses for us to connect with him. For us to access him and receive all the ministry that the Holy Spirit wants to accomplish. As I think back to my junior high friend at the door, I didn't know what to say to him, but the question I wish I could have asked that would have helped me understand his theology would have been this. How do you believe you connect with God every day? How do you believe you access all that God has for you? And that I think would have led to a good discussion so that I could have reminded him of the ordinary ways that God uses. Sometimes the gospel is just so simple. We just have to humble ourselves to its reality. Sometimes we like to say, or like to think, I found the special way, the unique way, this way to do it. And here's what God says, no, there's no special, unique way. It's just doing the ordinary means that I have provided for you. Just simply humbling ourselves and receiving what the spirit wants to offer through these ordinary means. Sometimes that means we have to give up our pride, you know, thinking we figured it out and found our own way. So that's the spirit baptism. Let me just talk briefly about the fire baptism. They're in the same sentence. They go together, right? He's saying, I'm going to baptize. One is going to come who's going to baptize you with spirit and with fire. Same inner baptism for all believers. Best understanding here, and this is not an easy verse, is this. The fire refers to the spirit's ongoing work of purification and cleansing in our lives. So you think of a furnace where it's heated up and the the gold comes to the top and the dross is moved away. It's the same idea that the Spirit is working in our lives to purify us, to cleanse us, to remove sinful parts so that we would be holy before God. Now there's probably also a second part of this. For those that accept the Spirit and fire baptism, God works for our good. But there's probably also a second part of this that refers to judgment on both sides for for those who reject it and so then how do we receive this baptism well Peter says this so well in Acts 2 he says repent of your sins be baptized for the forgiveness of your sins in the name of Jesus Christ and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit he just puts a whole lot of things together there but simply today if you feel that if you are disconnected from God here's what you do you just need to repent of your sin and turn to Christ and trust in him. In that moment, he sends his spirit to indwell us and he forgives us of all our sins. So as you read there in your Bibles, what was John the Baptist doing? He was exhorting the people and proclaiming the good news to them. I wanna do the same thing as John the Baptist did today. Exhort people, come to Christ, trust in him, and may your sins be forgiven. The good news is then you receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. So that's Jesus' superior baptism. Now, there's also then, as we read down, Jesus' water baptism. And it's very interesting to see how Luke covers this. He he moves really quickly. Uh, All the other gospel writers tell us much more about Jesus' baptism. It's like Luke sort of skips over it, and he really just wants to get tell us what happened afterwards, this revelation of God. Jesus is praying, the Spirit is descending and the Father God the Father is speaking and so let me just comment a little bit on what Luke writes there I think it's helpful for us to understand that Jesus prays. we don't know what he prays prays something but then as as after his prayer or during there is this visible appearance of God's invisible spirit relates to what we just talked about the spirit comes in bodily form like a dove and descends on Jesus Now, one little point of clarification here. The Spirit didn't take on the form of a dove. You see it right there in your scripture. He came in the form like a dove. It's not an actual dove. Here's what Daryl Bach says, and he's written this great commentary, two volumes on the Gospel of Luke. He says this, what was visible was not a dove, but rather what was seen is compared to a dove. Here's how he thinks we should best understand it. The Spirit descended on Jesus with the grace of a dove. And why is this happening? That's what it was. But why is it happening? It's not that Jesus needed more of the Holy Spirit. He's full of God. He's had the, he's, had, you know, he's fully God. He has all of the Spirit. But this is a visible symbol for us as Jesus begins his ministry, that everything Jesus is going to do now is done in the power of the Spirit. In his humanity, he's fully yielded to the Spirit's work. And everything that happens next is done because the Spirit is working in his life. So Jesus, God the Son, prays, God the Spirit visibly comes down to be that symbolic act indicating that he's going to fill him with power, and then God the Father speaks. And again, remember Luke is giving us the credentials of Jesus. Fulfilled prophecy, testimony of John the Baptist, and now we have the audible voice of God from heaven. If you want to put something on your resume that gives you good credentials, it's this moment. Here's God speaking aloud. Everyone heard it. You are my son whom I love with you. I am well pleased. And Luke, before he shows us Jesus's ministry, he's showing us uh, these credentials, building, building the credentials of Jesus. But I love these words too. What great words to hear. This must have so filled Jesus's heart. This is my son. I love you. I'm pleased with you. Great words that Jesus would have heard. Well, let me just quickly now uh, talk about who should be baptized and why we should be baptized. Since we're looking at Jesus' baptism, let just a good opportunity for me just to do a little bit of teaching there. Who should be baptized? Anyone who has turned from their sin, trusted in Christ, had their sins forgiven and had the gift of the Holy Spirit. If you this morning are in the category of know that the spirit is moved inside of you and you are regenerated, you're indwelled with him. You should be baptized. And here are four reasons for that. One is because Jesus commands it. This is not only Jesus being our example. He also says, you should be baptized. Being baptized is an act of obedience towards Jesus. And the Christian life starts with obedience in baptism and it continues on in obedience. That's what Jesus has for us. Obey him, what he says. Secondly, it's an opportunity to publicly declare our faith in him. It says to everyone, I'm with Jesus. And sometimes people might say, well, I don't know enough to be baptized. Let me just try to unpack that a little bit. I would say this, if you don't understand, as I've said several times today, what it means to turn from your sin and trust in Christ. If you don't understand the fullness of what I mean by that to have your sins forgiven, to to receive the gift of the Holy Spirit, if you don't fully understand that then yes, you should continue to understand what the gospel means before you move forward in getting baptized. But if it's just that you don't know enough about Christianity enough about the truth, then if that was the argument, then none of us would be baptized ever because here's what we all know. The more you learn about Christianity, the more you realize, the more I have to learn. There's always more to learn. What baptism says is this, I'm with Jesus. That's the public declaration. When Jesus died, I was with him. When he was buried, I was with him. And when Jesus rose from the dead to new life, I am with him. Baptism says, I'm with Jesus. The third area is this. It's to celebrate the forgiveness of sin. Again, sometimes the pushback can be, I shouldn't get baptized because I'm not good enough. I'm not perfect enough. I'm not worthy. And if you've ever felt that way, that's exactly true. That's exactly true. You understand the gospel. None of us are worthy. None of us are perfect. None of us can be good enough. None of us can clean ourselves up. We just come to God in that broken state and say, God, here I am, unworthy, uh, sinful. Would you forgive me and make me a new person? 2 Corinthians 5.17, anyone who is in Christ is a new creation. Behold, the old has gone, the new has come. Baptism is your way of symbolizing that that all my sin have been washed away. And then lastly, baptism is identifying with Christ's people. It's saying, I've made a life-altering decision and now I have a new family. I'm part of a new community. Christianity is not done to be private or just alone, it's to be done, to, done together. And so baptism gives you an opportunity to say, I'm with everyone else. And I so love the words that Jesus speaks, or God speaks to Jesus that is baptism. You know, uh, you're my son whom I love, if I'm well pleased. And if I've had the privilege of baptizing you, we've stood back there and prayed, and I, I have prayed that exact prayer for you, that you would know that sense of God's love and pleasure in your life on that day, your baptism day. I always pray that for everyone. And I trust that would be the case. But here's what I've learned over the years, is oftentimes we feel that love and pleasure from God through the community as we encourage the baptism candidate in their life and in their faith, they in turn feel God's love and pleasure on them through their identification with all of us. So that's Jesus's baptism and that's four reasons everyone should be baptized. And so if you're not baptized today, no, there's no water in the tank, no spontaneous baptism today, but uh, please talk to one of us afterwards. We would love to journey with you towards that end.